For more information regarding tonight's episode, be sure to check out our website and social media. That's at KCH Podcast on all social media and kchpodcast.com. Warning, the podcast you're about to listen to is not suitable for all audiences. This episode contains mentions of abuse of the elderly, violence, sexual assault, drug overdose, and alcoholism. Listener discretion advised. Victoria. Hello, Malcolm. Victoria, did you know... Today, I mean, not today, today, but today is in the day that this episode airs, is National Women's Day? Yes, actually. You want to know why? Because of me. Because we planned this shit. (laughs) 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 But yeah, today is National Women's Day. Sorry, I'm sorry. It's actually, it's Women's Equality Day. National Women's Day is actually August 9th. Today is Women's Equality Day, celebrating the 1920 19th Amendment when women got the right to vote. I like having my right to vote. So I'm glad that happened. I don't think you deserve to vote. Not women, just you specifically, Tori. (laughs) I think women are very intelligent and deserve the right to vote. You, Tori, you convicted criminal you. What? (laughs) Don't deserve to vote. Excuse me, what? <laughs> I wish I could tell you, bud. Um, I'm cracked out on bang right now. I don't know what to tell you, bud. That's right. I'd like to bang you. Um, See, that's what I'm talking about. You just, you're killing me constantly, bud. You know. Could call you a serial killer. I am. I I've am. I've seen you chow down on a bowl of Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa Puffs wouldn't even be my first choice of cereal. I don't think I've ever seen you eat Cocoa Puffs. I've seen you eat Frosted Flakes out of a huge mug, out of a huge (laughs) cup. I did do that. You've seen me eat honeycombs. I have not seen you eat honeycombs. I've watched you buy them. I didn't buy them. Oh, no? No, you had them. Oh, I I didn't buy them. All right, well, they were in your apartment. (laughs) (laughs) So I ate them. But my first choice would be Fruity Pebbles, first of all. I didn't know that about you. I love Fruity Pebbles. You are a little fruity. I am. It's fine. But getting back to that idea of serial killers and women, I'm tired of men Me too. and their hold over the serial killer community. I mean, I'm tired of men in general. Like, you're, you're right. You're right. You specifically. But women do not have enough representation in the serial killer community. You didn't have to add in the serial killer community, just point blank, period. However, I agree with you. And what's funny is female serial killers, hands down, Better and more interesting serial killers than male serial killers. Oh, yeah. I mean, their motives are different. And they're so much smarter. So much smarter. And I think female serial killers go really, like, fly so under the radar. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, like, so many different reasons why. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, she's just a woman. She's too innocent to have done that. Women aren't smart enough to commit crimes. Women are weak. They can't kill other people. Right. I, And then a lot of times when they do get caught, they don't get charged or convicted, like, properly. Oh, yeah. They'll, like, get out within three years or some shit. Like, 
I know the woman that I'm talking about today, that's the case. Like, she's in and out of jail, and they're just like, eh, whatever. And they just let her go. Oh, yeah, not mine. My, then again, she did a lot, so she kind of she got... Little, little, little different vibe, little different energy. A little different, a little different. But it's all about equality today. And just giving female killers the representation they deserve. It is. And really also just understanding why women kill serially. Do you ever think before you speak? Don't I know the answer. But do you ever think before you speak? Sometimes. We write down and plan what we're going to say, bud. Like. Um, so <laughs> but because, you know, like, okay, so men, mm-hmm. they Gross. kill out of like sexual passion. Everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. They It'll be sexual aggression, passion, resentment, whatever. It'll be, um, it'll be my daddy hit me. It'll be I never made a real connection with a person. It'll be um, Zodiac Killer. It'll be I'm getting my victims in heaven, afterworld kind of a shit. Like, it'll be much more selfish. Like, it's very self-serving. Yeah, and they're very passionate killers. Mm-hmm. And and what that leads to is a lot of... It leads to a lot of victims that are just left out in the open or mm-hmm. mutilated or there's enough evidence because especially if it's a sexual crime, they usually leave some sort of DNA, DNA. evidence. Yeah. It gets them caught faster. And then there's the... Because they are so passionate, they move so quickly and so, like, they're flighty that they're messy. And there's so much more room for error. That and their egos get so inflated eventually to the point where they're just like, ha yeah, I killed them. All the time. Yeah. I know. I did it, um, I think it was actually, like, the first or second episode of the, the second season there where we did the Love Slave Killer. Yeah. Yeah, where it was Otis Tool and, um... Oh. Uh, Lee. Oh, Love to Die For? Yeah, 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 Love to Die For. Uh, season two, episode one or two? I think it was one. That was our I first so, episode. I think so, yeah. Um, but literally, after he got caught, he's also known as the confession killer. Like, when he got caught, he confessed to 100-plus murders with vivid details of the murders. He was bragging. He was gloating. And then he became, like, a reformed Christian, and it was about, like, him helping find, like, Helping families find their missing children, their missing daughters. It was it was weird. Yeah. They gloat. They really do. But women are just like, no, <laughs> I don't care about all that. They more often than not kill for money. Right. A lot of times. And it's really smart, especially when you go into um kind of the further back that you get in the cases. It makes a lot of sense because you're talking before women like own land or have a bank account or, you know, really do anything so then you have these these women who are you know getting married to multiple men and then killing them we talked about that a few weeks ago you have women who are collecting pensions from their dying boarding house tenants you have a a lot of times it is to gain that financial stability which is smart yeah it's just all for personal gain and Mm -hmm. then the way they kill is just smarter and they're smarter at covering their tracks or not getting caught. hmm And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. So it's the same, you know, like with the wanting to get money and that personal gain. For who I'm talking about today, Juana Barraza, she really, like, used people, killed them, and just stole their shit. 
You know, for as planned as the podcast is, a lot of times when we record, it's the first time that we hear each other's stories so that way we can get, like, genuine reactions. Mm -hmm. My story's the same. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Different person, of course, but, like, the same. It's it's the same. Me too. Well, that's because, like we've already established. Female serial killers are just fucking smarter. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to kill, steal their shit. Bet. You know, personal gain, man. Yeah, no, bet. This is not a um, endorsement from KCH Podcast to go kill and steal things from people. Um, if you make the decision, that is your decision only. We're not saying that you should kill people. But we are saying just don't be a fucking idiot if you do. You know? Yeah. Uh, KCH Podcast is not liable for any crimes committed due to listening to this podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I love you. I love, I love you, too. you. I love you. I love you. I'm in love with you, Tori. Thank you. But, you know, the most fun thing about Barraza, she was a former professional wrestler turned serial killer. That is sick as shit. That right? is sick as shit. Right? It's awesome. That's kind of like the main reason I like went with her cuz I was like this is this is just cool. I feel very similarly about my killer because I was like reading the snippet of her story to decide who I wanted to do and it was the same of like oh all right okay shit that's cool exactly I'm not gonna spoil but you know we'll We'll get there we'll put a pin in that (gasps) we'll put a pin in it cute I hate looking at you (laughs) 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 asshole (laughs) um but no so Juana she um she actually ended up going by or being referred to as the old lady killer. We'll, we'll get into exactly as why. In, as in she is old or she killed old ladies? As in she killed old ladies. Tori, my serial killer today is an old lady who killed old people. I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, so she kills old lady. Old ladies. But before we fully get into that, I can tell you, just from the first fact I learned about her, I can understand exactly why Barraza did what she did. She was born in a rural area north of Mexico City, where her mother was known to be an alcoholic. But her mother was such an alcoholic at this point that she exchanged Juana to a man for three beers. What the actual fuck? Like, she... Gave this man her daughter just for three beers. Not even a six-pack. No. Three beers. Oh, yeah, here's my daughter so I can have three beers that'll last me two seconds. I'm... I am at a loss for words. What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) And how could your daughter be worth three beers? That's it? Wow. Like, immediately. Can already understand the trauma. Yeah. See exactly why why she ended up the way she did. Oh, my God. But of course, it only gets worse from there. So, sadly, and unfortunately to say that you could see this coming, Hmm. this man repeatedly assaulted Juana sexually. How old was she at this point? Old enough where her mom still had, like, quote-unquote ownership of her. But, as I'm about to explain, I meant to say young enough where her mom still had, like, ownership of her. No, I know what you're saying. Young enough where, like, she's she's probably no older than, like, 
13, 14. Yes, but she's old enough for her reproductive organs to be working. Oh, so like 12 to 14. Yes, because this man impregnates her. Great. Yep, and she has her first son. Wow. She does end up having three more kids, but there's really nothing about them. The first son, however, eventually dies, and it's from injuries from a mugging gone wrong. Oh, shit. Yes. So, just just picture this. This girl who, when she was younger, her mother thought she was only worth three beers, gave her up to this man who repeatedly assaulted her. And impregnated her. Impregnated her. She ended up having four kids in total. Her first one dying from a robbery gone wrong, gone a little too far. What, what do you think is going to happen to her? Um, I think that she is going to find a really good therapist and start maybe medicating for her PTSD and uh, is going to escape the man who was sexually assaulting and abusing her and uh, go on to live a very happy, healthy life. Mm, sure. Let's just end it there. All right, excellent. Um, so no. anyway, uh, getting into my story now. <laughs> um, no, but so she does like make a name for herself. She does still have these other three kids. I mean, she is a she was a professional wrestler, so like things couldn't have gone like she had to have been doing something right. You know, things couldn't have gone that. Yeah. Um, were all of her kids with the same guy, or were they? I'm not sure. Okay. I, I again, there wasn't too too much information on her early life. Just like okay. the, like it was more so the like post. Yeah. Everything like this is kind of you the know trauma I think that's a common with. theme with female serial killers as well too. Yeah. Because a lot of times they don't have a lot of information about their childhood and their past the way that male serial killers do. I think some of that is straight up documentation. Like, I think a lot of it is just straight up not looking that hard into the person. I mean, it's the lack of representation. It's the Mm -hmm. lack of understanding why this person did it or the understanding that this person did this. Yep. Yeah. Um, It's sexism, isn't it? Usually. But like we're saying, like, she, you know, she went on to be a professional wrestler. She was making a name for herself. Which, do you want to know her uh, professional wrestler? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. She went by... I'm going to butcher this probably. I'm very sorry to everyone who... Speaks Spanish. Yes. So she went by La Dama del Silencio, which means the Lady of Silence. Cool. Right? That's, like, kind of really sick. Which, like, I think also goes with her, like, serial killer name, which is the Old Lady Killer. Yeah. It really honed in on who she was as a wrestler and a killer. And they go kind of hand in hand. You know, she just silenced some old ladies. (laughs) I mean, listen, if you're going to silence anybody, might as well be old people, right? That one's for our sales manager specifically, for our our manager at work. I love you. You know who you are. You know who you 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 are. Anyway, that's a whole side tangent of we made fun of old people and now he's mad at us for making fun of old people. He's not even that old. He's 52, but you know. I think. <laughs> ish. But so, you know. Nah, he's, he's 25. Oh, I always say he doesn't look a day over 65 because <clears throat> I'm a fucking asshole. This poor man. <laughs> I love him. I love him. I love him. Me too. But uh, again, enough about men. Talking about some old ladies here because this is when 
Rawr. <laughs> I hate you. Okay. Tell me something I didn't know already, Tori. Tell me, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> tell me about these old ladies. Um, well, okay, so Juana killed them. And she kind of used her trauma to fuel her fire, of course. But just like how her son was killed in a robbery gone wrong, she kind of did the same thing to these old ladies. Okay. What she really did, she targeted lonely women over the age of 60, and Barraza would gain the woman's trust to get inside the house before bludgeoning or strangling them. And then once they were dead, she would just take anything she wanted and leave. See, so handful of things that makes us smart, right? She has no connection to these women, right? Like, they're just Random old ladies, 60 right? 60-year-old women. The manner in which she's killing them, because, like, bludgeoning kind of a thing is is one of the better ways to kill someone to get away with it. You leave minimal fingerprints. You leave minimal evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's usually relatively quick-ish. It depends on, like, how good you are at it kind of a thing. But considering she's a professional wrestler, she's definitely pretty fucking strong. And she probably knows all the spots you're not supposed to hit to kill someone. Right. So you hit those spots mm-hmm. to kill someone. Exactly. Because in wrestling, you're trained, like, especially when it comes to, like, facial blows or head blows, there are certain spots that, like, you cannot hit or else you can seriously hurt or injure somebody. Yeah. You know? I mean, fuck, if you put enough pressure to somebody's nose, you can kill them, like. Yeah, exactly. Enough, te- enough, enough force to the temple, done. Yeah, yeah, seriously. But I very, very smart way to do it. And like I said, there's no gunfire, so there's no noise of it, and it's easy enough to track like where a bullet is fired from. What time frame? What time period are we in? Like, is it late 1900s, early 2000s? Are we older than that? Where are we at? It's like around. Pretty much, like, the ni- 1990s to 2000s. Okay. Because she's arrested in 2006. All right, so. cool. So, definitely, like, we have the ability to, we the, the DNA capability, we have the ability to track the serial number from which a gun was fired. Like, we have a lot of ability to track down somebody who commits a murder at this point. Yeah. You know, we have databases of evidence and all of that shit. That was, like, why I wanted to know what time period it was. Because... Considering how advanced we were in in our investigation process, she's still really smart about being able to get away with it. Well, yeah. Because it's do the thing that's going to just look like an aggressive, like a robbery gone wrong. Yeah, which she was exposed to pretty fucking young. Yeah. So it's like... And traumatically. Yeah, exactly. Like, that sucks. You know, speaking of how she um, really just got away with this in a time period where it's not as easy to get away with murder... The police were pretty on to her. Really? Like, on to her motives, her ideas. Like, they were noticing a string of lonely old ladies getting killed and robbed. Okay. So they noticed that something was going on. Okay. But still, she has that protection of having no relationship with any of these women. Yeah. You know, it does help. It does help. Yeah. And it, it took it took the police some time because there was a couple hiccups in the case. Shocking. <laughs> no way. The chief prosecutor in Mexico City initially profiled the killer as... A man? <laughs> no. Oh. Well, actually... Well, yeah, yeah, but... Actually, I don't want to touch on it too, too much, but they originally thought it was a trans man. 
Really? Yeah. I think a trans prostitute specifically. Weird? Well, because any eyewitness accounts about it were like this masculine, like, woman. Oh, that would make a lot of sense because she does have that build of like a professional, like, of, of a wrestler and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, that, okay. Like, with the right glimpses and everything, she could, she would look like a oh, man. Oh, especially during the 90s and early 2000s when they were so, still using, like, outdated terms for transgender people and everything. Yeah, and, like, like, there's, like, in the whole, the way I want to, the reason I didn't really go into it too much is because, um, trying to reword literally everything. Because they're using, they're be, just using unbelievably yeah. outdated terms to describe, like, trans people yeah and generalizing based on so much shit but especially given the time frame it makes a lot of sense that seeing a very masculine woman it's like oh that's you know it's it's a a cross dresser or it's it's a a trans person or it's you know it makes a lot of sense yeah but that's not where I was initially going. That's fair. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it was like a little like, you know, side it makes, bit. Of, it makes yeah. a lot of sense, though, as to why they weren't on to her specifically. Yeah, because they were looking. They really did like investigate the community first, uh, which they received backlash for. But, you know, it's as, as they should. Yeah. The chief prosecutor initially profiled the killer as having a brilliant mind, being quite clever and careful. He suggested that the killer did exactly what Baraza actually ended up doing to enter the homes, which is like a little funny to me that they they figured out exactly what she was doing without knowing who she was. Yeah. Because it's like, when I say that, it's a little interesting to figure out how she was doing this. Yeah. Because what she did is she would pretend to be a public official. She would go to these homes. And convince the victims that she was trying to help them sign up for, like, Community welfare. program no, shit. Yeah, well, yeah, for, like, welfare benefits and stuff like that. So. Tori, the amount of similarities between our stories is getting more and more ridiculous. Go on. But yeah, so she, she went around. She told these women, oh, yeah, I'll help you sign up for welfare programs. Gain their trust. Get in there. Kill them. Steal their stuff and leave. Smart, and because then there's no sign of a struggle. You know what I mean? Because it is. It's all of a sudden they're basically getting blindsided, mm-hmm. you know, as they think that they're, you know, a a, a community member, or an, an official of the community member is helping them out. That's the lonely dowager, lonely old lady kind of a thing. And then killing them. Yeah. So that was the first thing that they found in the case. At least was her MO. Mm-hmm. But... It took them, still took them some time figuring out it was her, which they never figured out it was her because of their investigation, which I'll get into, but they got stuck on something so stupid trying to figure out who this killer was. I'm so excited. So in general, there was just like conflicting evidence and coincidences going with each case, but initially they thought there were two killers. So they weren't looking at one woman. Okay. Then, again, this is a complete coincidence. The police completely got stuck on the fact that at least three of Barraza's victims owned a print of an 18th century painting being Boy in a Red Waistcoat by Jean-Baptiste Gruze. I don't know how to say it, but 
there was a print of, of a the, painting. Of a famous painting. Yeah. So I don't know if you've met many old ladies. Um, I have. Old women love me, first off. I think it's because they really like gay men but don't realize that I'm gay. So I'm real, like, fun with them. Yeah. And they don't realize it yet that I'm queer. But, you know, whatever. Anyway, they're all the same woman. Like, they'll all dress the same, have the same clothes, have the same... Fuck, they'll all wear the same perfume. Like, the fact that all, like, three of the victims had this painting means literally less than nothing. Exactly. I love it. Because when I tell you how many victims she had, too, there was literally just at least three of them. Like, there's no reason for them to get stuck on this. But they did. Why? Like, I, why? I, who's to say why? Okay, you know what? You know, I figured it out. Maybe the killer worked at an art store. And these old women would come in and buy this painting. And then she'd be like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll come and hang it for you. What's your address? And then go and kill them. Boom, solved it. I would appreciate you not staring at me so judgmentally, Corey. <laughs> but no, this could be a legitimate train of thought for the police. It could you be. Know? Or that like, okay, the killer might have gifted this to them. That's a good one too. Like previously. Okay. And, and again, because there's no struggle. There's no sense of distrust. They're trying to find some connection. You know? To the victims. Exactly. So there, it was, you know. Still just a weird detail to get hung up on. Such a weird detail. But she didn't get caught because they figured out who it was. She got caught because she slipped up. Yeah. And she, she got spotted running away from, from the house of her last victim. So, you know, she just, she kind of let herself... Get well. Also, it's not her fault that like if someone just happened to be around at the time that she like left the house after killing someone. Yeah, there, you can try and watch out for that. Or if you're just trying to get out as fast as possible, you don't realize that someone notices you. Yeah, and you just dip, and then now you got caught. Well, that's the question then, right? Is like the manner? Oh, because she was robbing them, so she was running with like shit in her hand, like she was escaping with stuff. That makes yeah. more sense. Because I was like, that if she goes and kills them and just, like, closes the door and walks calmly out of the house, why would anyone suspect her? But, no, she's, like, carrying, like, she's, she robbed them. She's carrying valuables. Like, that makes more sense as to why she, like, ran. But, wow, that's just such a, like, wrong place, wrong time kind of a thing. It really was. That's so funny. So when she got arrested, they realized how many victims were truly kind of connected to her. Now, remember how I said there was at least three victims who had that print, which they got stuck on. Mm-hmm. She was tied to at least 40 deaths. How many was she convicted of, though? She only admitted to the one, but she was found guilty of 16 charges of murder and aggravated burglary, including 11 separate counts of murder. Mm-hmm. She was sentenced to 759 years in prison. So she was charged for a while. Like she, yeah, she, she got what she, she got. She got convicted. But it sucks because, like we kind of talked about earlier, what kind of drove her to what she did was she. Abuse. It was her abuse, and she. It was very much believed that she was a psychopath who felt no remorse. But she also admitted, like fully admitted, that that's really the reason why she killed people. She associated her elderly victims with her mother. And believed that she was helping society by killing them. Wow. I mean, I can see it. I get it. I, but wow. 
And she just went on and killed these old ladies. Holy shit, dude. And stole from them. The amount of similarities between our cases is fucking ridiculous, Tori. So, never, ever, ever, ever discredit the power of an older woman. When, you, when you've seen some shit, you learn some shit. That's how you become the death house landlady. That and killing between a confirmed 9 to 15 victims, mainly being elderly and disabled victims, who she stole checks from, like social security, pension, things like that. Again, got that money motive, right? Sprinkle in how easy it was to get away with murder during the 70s and 80s, and you get Dorothy Helen Gray Punte. Dorothy, she's an old lady. Like, she, during the time of her killings and everything, is an old lady. She was born January 9th, 1929, in Redlands, California. And unfortunately, she falls victim to an all-too-common theme of killers having a traumatic childhood. I feel like now is a good time to say, too, that she is considered a compulsive liar and a pathological liar. So how much truth is in this is questionable, but we'll go on. For starters, though, in her childhood, she was supposedly one of 18 children. She claimed to have been the youngest, but it was later confirmed that she was somewhere in the middle. It's believed that she started her habit of lying at a very young age as well. Both of her parents were alcoholics. Oh, so I'm wrong. It wasn't just her dad. Both of her parents were alcoholics. However, her father... (laughs) Fucking threesome. Her father reportedly threatened to commit suicide in front of his children multiple times. And her mother offered little comfort in these situations, literally not telling him not to, not telling them, just not being protective whatsoever in the situation. At only eight years old, her father contracted tuberculosis and died in 1937. A year later, her alcoholic mother lost custody of Dorothy and her siblings. By the end of 1938, their mother died in a motorcycle accident, and she was officially an orphan. Jesus. So now let's sprinkle in the abuse of the orphanage system, especially in the 30s and 40s. This poor woman. Yeah. All the siblings ended up being split up and moved all over the place. Dorothy ended up in an orphanage, though maybe that's a better situation for her, right? Her parents were drunks and abusive, and now she has the chance to be adopted by people who actually, like, want kids and actually want her and will love her. But, you know, that's not what happens. Oh, because no one wants her. No. Well, glossing over the all-too-common abuse a lot of adopted children face and the abuse that they face in these orphanages? Anyway, she stayed there until about 16, and during her time at the orphanage, Dorothy would regularly be sexually assaulted by those around her. But, like I said, she left the orphanage at 16. At this time, she was living in Olympia, Washington, and working as a prostitute and also working at a milkshake bar. Uh, this is when she would meet her first husband. Did her milkshake bring all the boys to the yard? And they're like, better than yours. Damn, Damn right. right. It's better than yours. I can teach you. But I'll have to charge. Well, and she did because she was a prostitute. That's the point. She made milkshakes and then they brought the, pro- the, the prostitute. They brought the 
the people to her prostitution. Right. So at 16, though, she already had her first husband. Keyword first. I want to say, I mean, this is getting to the time where it's not as common. Yeah, it's 1945. But it's still happening, but not as common. So, like, not too shocked. Yeah. So she ended up marrying 22-year-old Fred McFowl, a soldier of the Pacific Theater of World War II, who had just returned home. Now, this is just a generalization of my personal experiences and stories that I've heard and encountered, but a lot of soldiers post-war, in particular post-World War II, uh, aren't always the best husbands. World War II also had a particularly high record of soldiers with PTSD. And again, generalizing, but a lot of soldiers who ended up suffering from PTSD because they did not receive proper care, counseling, help at all, would turn around and be fairly abusive to their wives and children, especially during the 40s and 50s. Yeah, so you mean these people who went through a really, really traumatic war, got thrown back into normal life like it was nothing. And didn't cope well, I know. So weird. I'm so shocked. The way that we treat soldiers, mental health, I'm at point blank period, the way we treat soldiers, but the way that we treat social soldiers, mental health-wise, is deplorable even today like there's no like i just and then and then because people will go oh well you're a soldier just toughen up just just deal with it you're fine it wasn't that bad or you're a man you shouldn't be like blah blah blah. it's your duty to be to give your life for your country and and all that kind of shit yeah and being told just to brush it off and so they did they drowned it in alcoholism and drugs and abuse and like they never learned how to cope with what they experienced then you wonder why we have so many fucked up kids now. Mm-hmm. Well, especially this is the 40s. We'll say 40s to the 60s that these people are having children and everything. Those born within that time frame right now are in their 50s to 60s now, 50s to 70s. Yeah. You know. <laughs> anyway, there's no record necessarily of this marriage being abusive, but I cannot imagine that it wasn't, especially considering how quickly things ended up falling apart. Fun facts about Dorothy, though. She was basically a child bride, but on the marriage certificate, she claimed she was 30 years old and called herself Cheryl A. Riskell. Fake name. You'll find this a reoccurring theme. Okay. I mean, she was a prostitute. And a compulsive liar. So, I don't know what to say. I I genuinely don't. You're good. I'm going to (laughs) continue. The couple had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. She sent one to live in Sacramento with McFowl's mother, and the other she placed up for adoption. McFowl ended up leaving her in late 1948 after she suffered from a miscarriage, just like a piece-of-shit husband would. After separating, she ended up moving back to California from Washington. In spring of 1948, Dorothy was arrested for the first time. She was purchasing clothes and jewelry with forged checks in Riverside, California. She pled guilty to two accounts of forgery, and she ended up serving only four months in jail and three years of probation. Six months after release, she left Riverside. By 1952, she was married again and living in San Francisco. Now, we get another fake persona. This time, and I'm so sorry for pronouncing this, I know it's going to be wrong. She was Taya... Singolia Naria. Again, I'm so sorry. I know that I butchered that. 
but she presented herself as a Muslim woman of Egypt and Israeli descent. This marriage didn't work out well either, surprisingly, and Dorothy would take advantage of her husband's frequent work trips to sea. He was a fisherman. She would invite men into their home and gamble away her husband's money. That's the way to do it. All right. Just... You got a, you got a husband making bank who disappears often, goes to work trips on sea, is out for like months at a time. It's probably one home drunk and passed out. Right. Cats away, the mice will play. Disgusting. <laughs> I'm secretly an old man. Secretly? Shut up. I just want to be the fun-loving hippie grandpa, man. You will be. I know. Soon. Time will come. Time will come. Even though it'll be my kids and not yours. Your kids and my little brother's kids' kids. Yeah. You know, that's the goal is I'm going to be the really, really cool, fun uncle. And I'm going to be real close to my, like, nieces and nephews or, like, my honorary nieces and nephews to the point that when they have children, I'm basically an honorary grandparent. Yeah. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. I just, you know? I just need someone to do that with now. The time will come for everything. I know. Who knows? Maybe you'll get to be child married. I guess we're a little past that. I couldn't be. But, you know, you have time. Just lie about your age. Lie about the timeline. Okay. Lie about my name, too. (laughs) Exactly. Become a prostitute. Exactly. Sell milkshakes that brings all the boys to the yards. You're getting it. And then kill a shit ton of old people. Anyway. That sounds like the life right now. Honestly. Honestly. But despite the everything, despite all of the madness, Dorothy actually stayed with this husband for a while. Despite gambling away his money, despite inviting, inviting, <laughs> despite inviting men over to their house and everything like that, and who she fucked, like, it, you know, they stayed together for a, a while. We're going to put a little bit of a pin in that, the collapse of their marriage, but for now... We were jumping to 1960 when Dorothy was arrested for owning and operating a brothel under the disguise of a bookkeeping firm in Sacramento. She was guilty, but only ended up serving for 90 days. Now, here's my question, right? All her sentences seem to be pretty short. And I don't know if this is just like a time period thing of like, that's all that you would serve for that. Or if it was because she was a woman, so she's getting, like, shorter periods, shorter sentences. But looking into forgery first, right, these are today's laws and everything. But checks of $250 or less is up to one to five years and a $10,000 fine. So her serving four months for her forgery charge, I guess, kind of makes sense because, like, half, like, six months to, to a year... Six months to five years, like, it it makes sense, right? But I mean, that also kind of just depends on how much she forged. And she also got two charges of forgery. She just got away with it. Right? And then, just kind of weird. But then looking into the brothel was a little bit harder. So prostitution, after the first offense, it's up to 18 months and a $10,000 fine. I couldn't find anything specifically about owning a brothel or operating a brothel, but pimping laws can be three to eight years. But you also have the fraudulent business practices, which those sentences can get fucking hefty depending on what it is. So I feel like 90 days was very 
light for her to get. I think so, too. Also, side note, why is prostitution illegal? I don't know. It's literally the oldest profession. It's also just sex work. Like, I don't fully understand why that's illegal. But then, like, OnlyFans or strip clubs or things like that are legal. Well, strip clubs are legal because it's controlled by a man, usually. But so is prostitution half the times. Half the times you have a male pimp. That's true. Yo, props to the female pimps and the female strip club owners. Mm. Yo, female strip club owners. I've seen, like, I don't know. Like, there's a couple on TikTok of, of like, female-owned strip clubs and everything. Mm-hmm. Yo, those girls look like they have fun. They, like, take care of those girls. That shit. Well, mm. yeah, because it, it's, just a, it's just a good job. Like, it really is. It's a really lucrative job if you're good at what you do. Because you don't... It, it, being a stripper doesn't mean anything. Mm-mm. You're just comfortable in your body, and that's awesome. And most strippers are in fucking phenomenal shape. Are you kidding me? Do you know how much, like, ab workout it takes to do pole dancing? Oh, yeah. Like, or just the dancing fuck. in general. Seriously. Like, And wa- then you have, like, the studio lights, and it's dark and dingy, and it's definitely, like, hot in there. You know? Yeah. Like, it's definitely warm. Yeah, but they're basically naked, so. Yeah, but then they're dancing under studio lights. That's true. But either way, if you're a stripper, good on you. I'm proud of you. I support the um, fuck out of you. If you're a prostitute, hey, just be careful. Yeah. But good on you, because if you're comfortable in your body and you're comfortable with doing that, that is on you. That Not on you, but, like, that's dope. Safe, sane, and consensual, man. I live by that. And it's just, like, I just don't understand... It's like, it's your own body. It is. Why does it matter if you make money off of it? Right. And that's the thing is like, I never, I've never understood that, especially because prostitution is the oldest profession. It's literally like, it is the oldest profession. Oh, but we can, um, we can just sell girls for sex, mm-hmm. but girls can't sell themselves for, for three it. beers. Whatever though. I still think that she got a really light sentence. And like I said, I don't know. If those charges, like, if that's just what you served during that time period. But I feel like 90 days for, not even the fact that it was a brothel, but 90 days for owning, like, a falsified business doesn't seem right. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So she she had multiple charges of things. It's it's not. And it's not her first offense. And it's not her first time in jail. Like, 90 days? You know, they just let her out because she was a woman. Whatever, though. We're... Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> We're good. I just, I'm still, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Pretty shortly following her release, her husband had Dorothy admitted to DeWitt State Hospital after a extreme bender. She basically got released, started binge drinking, even more compulsively lying, and attempting suicide and just committing crime after crime. Here, she would be diagnosed as a pathological liar, meaning she is compulsive in her lying and almost like she can't help but lie, as well as having an unstable personality. Around this time is when Dorothy started to work as a nurse, and the job slowed her miscellaneous crimes a lot, which at that point were becoming more and more serious. She worked as an aide, working with disabled and elderly people in private homes. After only a short time, she was managing boarding homes. So puzzle pieces are starting to fall into place on how she is going to become the death landlady. 
I'm excited. Oh, we got a little bit of time before it. Oh, God. So just pin it right there. But finally, it is time for her 14, honestly very hostile marriage to end. It is 1966, and Dorothy and her second husband finally divorced, though she kept his name for a period of time. And in a very Dorothy fashion, she took on another persona of Shannon Jonathan, portraying herself as a kind Christian woman to help hide her shady behaviors. She grew a reputation as a caregiver as she would provide young women with a sanctuary from poverty and abusive from poverty and abuse completely free of charge. Wow, that's a shock to me. Right? No. It's not. uh, Her hiding as a Christian woman to get people stressed. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, and it just, it continues in in that she she is smart in the persona that she builds herself with. Only two years after her latest divorce, Dorothy remarried. She ended up marrying Roberto, Roberto Jose Puente. They lasted... 16 months. They separated first, citing domestic abuse as the main source of their turbulence. She served him a divorce petition, but he fled to Mexico. Their divorce wouldn't be finalized until 1973. They got married in 68. Okay. Yeah. But they only lasted 16 months? Yep. In 1975, due to a continuing struggle with him, Dorothy filed a restraining order against him. She would go on to stay Dorothy Puente. Like many after her divorce, she dove into work. She was running a boarding house at 21st and F Street in Sacramento, California, and continued to uphold that reputation as a caregiver and an aid to the community. She'd help alcoholics, the homeless, and the mentally ill individuals. She would hold AA meetings and help people set up to receive Social Security checks and benefits. And at this point, she started to change her public image to that of an older woman, a grandmotherly woman. She was only in her mid-40s, though, like mid to late 40s. But she's lived a life, so... Yeah. She would dress in vintage clothes, wear large granny-style glasses, and let her gray hair grow out. She also worked on building herself up as an aide to the Hispanic community. She funded charities, scholarships, and radio programs. Around this time, she technically married again, though this husband ran after about one week after the wedding. Her time is just getting shorter and shorter with these people, huh? Yeah, it really is. And guess what? No surprise, but she got into some legal trouble again. Oh, never really stops, does it? No. The year is 1978. She was charged and convicted of illegally cashing 34 state and federal checks that belonged to her tenants. And I don't think she actually got any jail time for it. Like, she was never actually arrested. She did get five years probation and had to pay back $4,000 in restitution fines. But, um, yeah, no jail time. And now finally, Tori, her murders. I'm excited. I know. This is what I'm always excited for. Dude, seriously. Just gives me ideas. Well, and because you don't get the nickname Death House Landlady easily. No, you you really don't. Because it's also not a short one. No. (laughs) So Dorothy lands herself on the radar in 1982. Around April, 61-year-old Ruth Monroe moved into Puente's upstairs apartment. Not long after moving in, 
Ruth Monroe died of an overdose of codeine and acetaminophen. So police show up, duh, and obviously talk to Dorothy as she ran the house. She told police the woman had been severely depressed, stating Ruth's husband was terminally ill and wasn't going to live for much longer. She probably would have died of a broken heart shortly after anyway, right? This is, this is her husband that we're talking about, her, her partner that she's been with, you know, all of her life, unlike Dorothy, who can't keep a man. No one questioned Dorothy. It, it made a lot of sense that this woman would start, you know, overtaking her medication and everything, and that she would, she would just continue on. And Ruth Monroe's death was ruled a suicide. Though it was only a few weeks later when police came knocking on her door again. Okay. Okay. I see where this is going. It gets better. Malcolm McKenzie, a 74-year-old man who had been living at the house and collecting on his pension, had accused Dorothy of drugging him in order to steal from him. He was one of four elderly people accusing Dorothy of drugging them. And on August 18th, 1982, she was convicted on three accounts of theft and sentenced to five years in prison. While in prison this time, she developed a pen pal friendship with Everson Gilmouth, a 77-year-old retiree from Oregon. She was released after only three of her five years. That is pretty common. Like, that makes a lot of sense you know, off on good behavior kind of a thing. And Mr. Everson met her outside the prison to drive her home in his red 1980 Ford pickup truck. Very sweet. So they were pen pals for about three years throughout prison, really formed this relationship, and he went to pick her up when she got released. So they couldn't meet for the first time. That's really sweet. Like, it's actually genuinely sweet. Well, why didn't he visit her in prison, though? They lived, like, two states away. Still. Yeah, make that long-distance relationship work. Not even going to lie, I would not drive, like, six hours to go see someone for an hour-long visit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I've been long-distance. Like, yeah. like, I have flown halfway across the country for a relationship. That being said, though, I would not drive. I probably wouldn't drive more than four or five hours to see someone for an hour. You know what I mean? But so cute that he picked her up. Right. Very, very sweet. And their relationship developed very quickly as soon as they met in person. And soon, the 56-year-old Dorothy and the 80-year-old Everson were talking wedding plans. Listen, age is but a number, especially once you're, like, over the age of 30 to 40. But given Dorothy's track record and her mistreatment of the elderly, I feel like this might have not I feel like that this may have not worked out very well for the two of them. How do you feel, Tori? Where do you think the relationship lands? Um, I think it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be the best relationship she's ever had. They're going to get married, live happily ever after, and ride off into the sunset. And she's going to stop her life of crime. Yeah. Put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll get on to that later. There's a lot of pins in this one. There is a lot. Well, because there's like little things and then we get the answers later on and it's just, listen to the fucking story. I'm, 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 I'm building up the story, man. Anyway, pin in it real quick. We are going to continue on her timeline. In November of the same year that she was released, she ended up hiring a handyman. Dorothy needed some wood. <laughs> she needed some wood. <laughs> yep. She ended up hiring a handyman. 
Dorothy needed some wood paneling installed in her apartment. And for his work, she ended up paying the handyman $800 and gave him the red Ford pickup truck, telling him it belonged to her boyfriend who was living in L.A. at the time and who no longer needed it. She also asked the handyman to build her a six by three by two foot wood box for, quote, books and other items. But she then asked the handyman to help her transport the filled and sealed box to a storage unit. He agreed, and the two drove off. While driving, Dorothy had them stop on the Garden Highway in Shutter County to dump the box of junk on the riverbank at an unofficial junk dumping site. So it wasn't a weird request for them to be driving and for her to be like, hey, actually, you know, I don't want to keep this stuff. Can you pull over here so that way I can, I can dump it? It's a normal spot where everyone was kind of just dumping their shit. Yeah. You know. Okay, I gotcha. Until we find out what was in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> well, similar to the movie, it was a dead body. On January 1st, 1986, the box was discovered by a fisherman. So this was, let me see, this was a few months later. A few months have passed since this incident. And it was discovered by a fisherman who noted the suspiciously coffin-shaped box and called police. When they pried the box open, they found a badly decomposed elderly man who they could not identify. Any guesses as to who it was? No. Well, it was Everson. <laughs> Shocking. What a shock. Right. Also, random question. Mm-hmm. Was the fisherman or whatever rando nodding? <laughs> <laughs> he may have been. Probably not, because I do not think that was a thing. <laughs> no. But the amount of dead bodies that people have found rando nodding is quite alarming. What happens now? Well, so... Everson was not identified for a few years after this event. Dorothy ended up continuing to collect on his pension and would write letters to his family explaining that Everson was falling ill, and that was the reason why he wasn't contacting them. During this time, Dorothy took in about 40 new tenants in her boarding house. It took three years for Everson Gilmouth to be identified. Three years. Three years? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, Dorothy continued on. She helped the elderly community and grew popular with local social workers. This was because she regularly accepted referrals of the, quote, tough cases, including drug addicts and abusive tenants. Let me tell you, this woman had her scheme down pat. She collected the tenants' monthly mail before they could even open it or see it. She paid them stipends and pocketed the rest for expenses. During this time, Dorothy was still on probation, and part of her probation was that she had to stay away from the elderly and could not handle government checks. She was visited often by her parole officer, and no violations were ever noted. She's a sweet little old lady helping the community and is friends with all the social workers. She just wants to, she just wants to help. Mm-hmm. I like the ooh-ooh hands that you're yeah. doing right now. I appreciate you. I was going to say, I was going to, if you didn't describe what I was doing, I was going to describe for the audience what I was doing right now. Were you going to call them the ooh-ooh hands? I don't know what I was going to call them, so I'm glad you said something. Word. I got you. I see you. No, you don't. I'm not here. Okay. Anyway, Tori. Yeah. She was literally visited by her probation officer. 
blatantly breaking both of the main things of her probation. But she's but she just she 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 just helping. So no sign of her ever being caught, huh? But all good things must come to an end, and the beginning of the end started with a homeless alcoholic man known only as Chief. So Chief, she ended up hiring him as a handyman to help around the boarding house, like a, an official one. The, the handyman from before was basically just a, a one-off job. And Chief was going to be fully invested with her. Dorothy had him dig in the basement and cart soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. At the time, the basement floor was covered with a concrete slab. Chief later dismantled a garage in the back door and installed a fresh concrete slab there as well. Soon afterwards, Chief disappeared. Is Chief under the concrete now? We'll get to that in a moment. On November 11th, 1988, police needed to go and inquire about the disappearance of a tenant. Alberto Montoya, a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia who had been reported missing by his social worker. After noticing disturbed soil on the property, they uncovered the body of a different tenant, Lenona Carpenter. She was 78 years old. Seven bodies were eventually found buried on the property. Dorothy ended up being charged with a total of nine murders. Her boyfriend, Everson Gilmouth, 77, Ruth Monroe, Lenona Carpenter, Alberto Montoya, Dorothy Miller, Benjamin Fink, James Galoop, uh, Vera Fay, and Betty Palmer, ranging from the youngest at age 51 and the oldest at 78. According to investigators, most of her victims had been drugged until they overdosed, and Dorothy then wrapped them in bed sheets and plastic lining before dragging them to open pits in the backyard for burial. She had her system down fucking pat. And I'd like to say that even after they died, she continued to collect on their checks. That's insane. Yeah. This time, you know, the stipend that she would pull out, like, she would just cash and take. But she continued. She did it so well. She, she pulled out the money to still give to them while pocketing enough for herself that she was continuously making money. And it wasn't a small percentage that she was pocketing. That's why she didn't even let them see their checks. And then she would kill them off, not report them dead, wait until their social workers would report them missing and be like, I'm not sure they, they left the other day, and then would continue just cashing on them. So smart. Like, so smart. Just so smart. Dorothy was not immediately a suspect. Actually, she was allowed to leave the, the property and told the police that she wanted to go and buy a cup of coffee at a nearby hotel. Instead, after buying the coffee, rather than returning, she immediately fled to Los Angeles, where she befriended an elderly male pensioner whom she had met in a bar. Unbeknownst to Dorothy, the pensioner recognized her as the woman he saw on television and news reports. The pensioner contacted local law enforcement who quickly apprehended the old woman. After everything said and done, her trial began in October 1992 and ended about a year later. Over 130 witnesses were called on to speak against Dorothy. They argued that Dorothy had used sleeping pills to put her tenants to sleep, then suffocated them and hired convicts to dig the holes in her yard. So the lawyers who were making the arguments against her were often 
using psychological jargon. And a lot of times we're kind of trying to paint that picture, especially to the jury, of this innocent-looking woman who is a known member of the community is not who she says she is. That, keep in mind, things are not always as they seem. The jury took a month to deliberate and answer and eventually found Dorothy guilty of at least three murders. The jury was deadlocked 11 to 1 for convicting on all accounts, and the lone holdout finally agreed to convict her of two first-degree murder counts, including special circumstances and one second-degree murder count. The defense, of course, ended up calling several witnesses to show how generous and caring Dorothy was. Witnesses, including her long-lost daughter, testified on how Dorothy had helped them in their youth and guided them to successful careers. Mental health experts testified that Dorothy's abusive upbringing and how it motivated her to help the less fortunate. At the same time, they agreed she had an evil side brought on by the stress of caring for her down-and-out tenants. So she didn't, she didn't, she's just an innocent, sweet old lady. She didn't know what she was doing. She's a caregiver. She helped us. She grew the community. She couldn't have murdered anyone. I... Yeah. It's also that, like, because she was smart about it. She built that persona. She made the world look at her as if she was that type of person. And she built that persona over, like, 15 years, 20 years, like... But it's also the fact of, like, look at her history and look at what she did and know that she did it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's only really being, like, tried for, or at least, like, possibly convicted for these three murders. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. What? So she ended up getting fully convicted of three murders. She ended up receiving life without the possibility of parole, and she was incarcerated at Central California's women's facility. For the rest of her life, though, she maintained her innocence insisting that all of her boarders had died of natural causes. She ended up dying March 27th, 2011, from natural causes at age 82. And that's the story of Dorothy. Not the one with the tornado? No Yellow Brook Road in this one. Aw. You know what's funny? As soon as you said, like, as you were saying tornado, like, I was thinking Yellow Brook Road. (laughs) There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Apparently not for those tenants. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, female serial killers do not fucking get enough credit. They do not. I they're because like they're so smart. They do things so well. They use the system's idea, like that they're weak and fragile and Mm -hmm. they're a woman, they can't do it. They're an old lady, they can't do it. Mm -hmm. Like everything is not what it seems. It's really not. Like you can't don't judge a book by its cover. Like really don't. Especially women. Yo. We'll we'll look like we're all sweet and cute and funny. No. We're Women fu- are fucking vicious. Women scare me. <laughs> they scare me, but like in a good way. You know what I mean? They intimidate me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the capability and everything, the just deep-rooted idea that women are in are are lesser than men is wild to me. Well, because it's just not true. <laughs> Because thinking about it is that's the thing. Women don't need that ego inflation that men do to know that they're good, know that Mm -hmm. they're right, know that they're... But men 
Not obviously, okay, not all men, but like No, not when 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 it's a generalization. But a lot of men. A lot of men. They need that It's a dick stroking contest. It's it, life is just a pissing contest. Mm-hmm. And men apparently men just have a tool to use and women don't. I think generally speaking, women are much more cutthroat than men. And I women scare me more than men. Well, I, the capabilities of women are and when you are working against systems, like look at the the women that we talked about today. You are working against systems that are built literally built against you. You have the case of Dorothy, who's in and out of prison and everything like that, in and out of jail, who literally only stays for a few months at a time, really, mm-hmm. except for her one three-year sentence. And she was being convicted of, like, major crimes, of forgery, of, of like, owning a brothel, of, of falsifying records. Like, shit, isn't it tax fraud to fucking list your business as something else? Yeah. And she served 90 days. Yeah. She she owned and operated the boarding house and was, like, one of the only people who did, and she wasn't the immediate suspect. Like, what? Exactly. Sometimes it works in favor. Sometimes it doesn't. And, like, look at Juana. She almost wasn't even caught. The only reason she was caught was because she was seen fleeing, like, she was seen fleeing a crime scene. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the only reason she was caught. Yeah. Otherwise, she may have never been caught. Like, honestly, she may have never. Like, and that's insane to think about, first of all, that, like, because there are people out there who aren't getting caught, are mm-hmm. never getting caught. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the idea that, like, one stupid mistake could be the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Serial killers are cool. Women are cool. Have you seen the theory that Jack the Ripper is a, uh, is a, a prost- female? Yep. Not not necessarily a prostitute, because whatever, but she is a woman or a group of women. There is that theory. So happy National Women's Equality Day. Yeah. We are awesome to my fellow whammon out there. Whammon. Whammon. I love you. You're beautiful. Actually, to everyone, I love you. You're beautiful. But especially today, especially women. Today, especially for women, you wear that outfit you never wanted to wear before. The one that you bought because you thought was cute, but every time you put it on... You hate it and change, wear it. Do it. Do what makes you comfortable. No liability here, but if that's going out and murdering someone... Fucking do it. Do what makes you happy because you are awesome and you are a strong-ass woman. And you don't need to, like, tell us your name or anything. You can actually anonymously message us on our uh, support page on our website, kchpodcast.com. I'd love to hear you detail your murder. Oh, um, yes, please. Like, I, we're cool, I promise. Like, we're, we won't, you're good. Yeah. Well, we'll just pretend that it's another story. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. And if you're looking for some cool stuff to wear, something to spike up your confidence and everything like that, KCH, your favorite fucking podcast, Killers, Cryptids, and Hauntings, we got fucking merch. Actually, I'm wearing it right now. You are. It's really cute. I'm very, very pleased. Yeah. With everything. We went through Redbubble. Redbubble.com slash KCH podcast. The name of our store is just KCH podcast. We have a couple of really cute designs on there. Tori right now is sporting our Killers Cryptids Haunting Circle logo on a black t-shirt. It's absolutely fucking dope looking. Um, Our contest winners should be receiving their merch soon. 
which that's exciting. Oh, if yeah. they haven't already by this, by the time that this episode comes out. Yeah, fucking A, man. Yeah. Uh, if you get anything, send us pictures, please. Tag us in it. Oh, my God. I... I'm so beyond happy with it. I've used Redbubble a handful of times to order stuff, especially around the holidays and everything. The print quality is is absolutely amazing, especially for the price point and everything of all of it. And you get to support us. Yo, I love wearing this shirt, by the way. It's super comfortable. I, this is one of my go-to shirts now. I yeah. just throw on. Well, because it's 100% cotton, mm-hmm. so it's soft as fucking shit. But like you said, does support us. And did you know it's not the only way to support us? Hmm, I feel like you're about ready to start talking about groceries and snacks. So I am going to start talking about groceries because you know what? It's the end of summer. We're celebrating things like women. You're going to have some barbecues. You're going to have parties. End of summer parties. End of summer. Even if you just need a little bit of s'more stuff for a nice campfire that night. But why? Why drive all the way to the store? Wait in those lines. Be with around all those people. Especially as we're masking up again. Yeah. You know, I just... Why Why be there when you can just... If, if it's your first order, at least, go in, click on our link, order a couple things, and get free delivery on that first order of $10 or more. Of $10 or more? I know. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. If you just need some s'more stuff for a nice campfire that night, cute little date night, you just need, like, you know, a couple, like, some flowers. Some, some chocolate. Some chocolates. Some chocolate-covered strawberries. Maybe a little whipped cream. Yeah. Little, little. Some little, rose petal. Make it, make it a cute little date night, you know, a little bit of whipped cream, a little bit of chocolate sauce. Yeah. That's all you need. You only need to spend $10 right now. Fucking phenomenal. And it's a great way to support us. And Instacart's really fucking, as soon as, within an hour, you get your groceries. As little as an hour, yeah. That's fucking phenomenal. It's insane. And you can you can schedule your time. You can just go ahead and do it. And it's so much better than just normal home deliveries from like the ShopRite app or whatever. Because you can get it from any grocery store. Yeah, exactly. Like you can get it from even, I'm pretty sure it's even more than groceries. Mm-hmm. Just groceries. But like from personal experience, it's also great because they keep you updated the entire time. I live. For shipping and tracking information. Like, and it's like, because you get your own personal shopper who does your shopping for you and brings that shit right to you. Phenomenal. Love it. So while you're listening to this next episode, order your groceries. Right. Fucking do it. We love you guys. We support you guys. We appreciate your support of us as we continue along season three. How you guys fucking liking it so far? You know we're keeping it creepy all the time. We have one favor to ask of you guys, though. That is, too. Always stay Stay creepy. creepy.